Today's episode features Scotty Smith, and it was recorded on March 5th, 2020. I'm your host, Chad Harrington, and this is the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. The New Canaan Society in Franklin, Tennessee is a group of men who encourage each other in friendship and in faith, and to be better men. Friendship at NCS happens through our meetings in chapters all across the country. The Franklin chapter meets the first and third Thursday morning each month at Puckett's Grocery in downtown Franklin. I want to tell you about an online video series and book study. Barry's going to share about his story. We've all got a story. And those stories are important to tell and for others to hear. And that's what John Mark Hicks teaches and models in his video course and book called Anchors for the Soul, about trusting God through the grief and suffering in life. John Mark lost his wife when he was a young man, then his son who passed at the age of 16 years old. NCS and friends can experience his story online through a free video course. Take a group of guys through the series with you. It's a great way to connect online, and the video course is available, as I mentioned, to NCS and friends for free when you buy the book. So visit himpublications.com slash NCS to learn more and to sign up for this special offer. That's himpublications.com slash NCS. And now for today's episode with Scotty Smith. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be together as men, as fathers, as sons, Lord, and sharing with one another, building each other up, Father God. For, Lord, we all know that there's things that we try to hide, try to build our walls up around. But, Lord, this is a place to bring the walls down, to be real, Lord, and and make ourselves acceptable unto you. We praise you, Lord. We thank you. Lord, as I think of every uh, person in this room and the number of people they can affect through their families and through their businesses, Lord, Lord, I just pray a special blessing upon them, Father God, that they'll take from these doors and go out and make a difference in our communities. Lord, we pray for our uh, our neighbors, Lord. It's so easy, Father God, for us to to be guarded when we haven't been subjected to tragedy. But Lord, we're not made that way. You made us to be responsive to needs. And Lord, we pray for our our communities, Lord, that have been affected, the families, the loss of life, the loss of properties, the loss of businesses, Lord. We pray, Lord, that there's a covering and there's a humility, Father God, that will follow, Lord, as you rebuild us, re-strengthen us as we turn to you. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. All right, um, this morning when I was driving in, the first thing I saw when I got off the interstate was about 15 to 20 giant dump trucks hitting the interstate, and that's the kind of community that we have. Where there's need, we will go. Um, and I'd like to invite up right now uh, John McKendon, and he wants to share um, a quick opportunity if you'd like to, uh, to participate in some way. Hi, good morning. Um, Tornadoes are kind of a a rough deal. They're not as bad in some ways as hurricanes. Um, 
but they're really bad, and you don't understand it until you actually go there. I don't know. Has anybody been up to North Nashville? Has anybody been in through and seen what's going on? It's the strangest thing because one side of the street is hit and the other side is not. I was up there yesterday with um, some, some people organized around Pay It Forward Nashville, and they said, you know, what we really need is people from Franklin. And I said, really? Well, I'm from Franklin, and I kind of know a lot of people. So I, I wanted to just kind of let you all know that if you're interested in helping, um, I'm sitting in the back with Mike, Marty, and, and PJ, um, JP. Um, just let me know later. Um, question for you. If a tornado hit and you were on the side of the street that was not affected, would you have a bucket like this to give to your neighbor? I was blown away. Um, I've also been uh, an EMT for almost 40 years. Um, I've responded to Hurricane Michael, Hurricane Florence. I've seen, I lived through Hurricane Sandy in New Jersey, but I've never seen a community like what's here in Nashville. There was a little boy, he was about seven, walking around with this bucket. This bucket says, God's pit crew. This little boy was so tired because he was at the end of a cul-de-sac, I just felt like I was doing him a favor taking it even though I didn't need it. But I brought it so that I can show you. I'm gonna show uh, my son's Boy Scout troops. I teach emergency preparedness. I like to help people when they're in need. And it's important to have the helpers know what they're doing. So many of you all have some gray hair, like me. That means you're experts. That doesn't mean you, no, I'm serious. I, I watched a guy cutting a, you know, with a chainsaw standing on stuff and he dropped down four feet yesterday. There's, there's a real need for smart people to kind of watch over and help. So I'm gonna be in the back of the room. Um, if anybody's interested in being involved in some way, um, I'm looking to get my son's Boy Scout troop up there on Saturday. I'll be going back up tomorrow. Um, if you're interested, my name's John and, and I'm in the back. Thanks for giving me a minute. John, thank you. Uh, Paul Mahota, who's sitting over here at the, at the bar, too, is organizing a group. He and John are going to be working together, so he's another person he will be with John. Uh, he was in North Nashville yesterday. There was a news report, uh, a lot of news reports, of course, that we've all been watching, Mount Juliet, Cookville, East Nashville, which is, of course, the popular place to... In, in Nashville, and there was a resident from North Nashville saying, please don't forget us. It's as bad here or worse than it is in East Nashville, and so we want to care for our neighbors wherever they are. Uh, Larry Stone has a yellow, yellow pad if you'd like to be on our email list for uh, a twice-a-month announcement about what's going on here, um, and a big welcome to, uh, to all the brothers this morning. Anybody here for the first time? All right. Come on. Yeah. This, Come on, brothers. There you go. <clears throat> Welcome. We say this all the time, but uh, we're here to help you build a community of life around yourself. Uh, we're here in case you don't have any friends. We know how to be friends, and we're going to do that. So, uh, We have a, a, a beautiful morning this morning. Before we, before we talk about that, I want to remind you to leave a nice tip for the wait staff. I want to get that in because they, they care for us. They come early. They stay late. We get in their way. And um, just because the breakfast is five bucks doesn't mean you ought to leave a $2 or a $1 tip, all right? Um, anyway, I have, uh, I have something I want to um, start with this morning. And it's a song, and I'm going to shut up. 
think it's a song. That's not a song. Let's see if it'll work again. YouTube is not working this morning. Maybe I don't have a song. Here we go. Sing if you know it. My favorite prayer in the morning. O oh Lord, in the morning, will I direct my prayer unto Thee, and we'll look up. And we need we need the perspective in our life of getting our eyes off ourselves, onto other people, but especially first onto the Lord Jesus Christ, onto Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all that He has done for us. And I'm. Uh, this is an old song from the Jesus Movement. Um, an early song um, of, of when, when so many of the new songs being written were just taking scriptures and, and helping us memorize scriptures and, and plant them deep in our heart. And one of the reasons I'm excited about this morning and having Scotty Smith here is we go back pretty far, back into the, into the 70s somewhere, I think, when you came to First Press and uh, I was a wayfaring stranger from the Anabaptist background, uh, long hair, music business, leather jacket and jeans, and wandered into First Presbyterian Church that way. Uh, it was a pretty funny scene. I, 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 sl I slid into the back, uh, the back row, into, onto the back, um, I guess there was a row of chairs, not even a bench in the back. I sat against the wall. And I walked out first because I, I was embarrassed about the way I was dressed and, and uh, didn't really know anybody. And, and Cortez Cooper, Pastor Cortez Cooper, um, met me at the door. He walked out and would always greet people. <clears throat> and he says, well, Wes, we'd love for you to come back. And um, I came back the next Sunday and walked out first again. But I was dressed the same way because I still didn't have any money to buy any clothes. And he looked at me and he says, Wes Yoder, it's really nice to have you back again. He never forgot my name and he was like that. And then Scotty came as youth pastor, youth pastor at first, uh, 78, 80, 79, okay, 79. And Linda and I were already married by then and we were there um, and, and stayed there until uh, uh, Cortez Cooper and Scotty were the founding pastors of Christ Presbyterian Church. And there's a long history there. Uh, what, what happened after that is Scotty had a profound vision for the community of Franklin and was one of the first people that I ever talked to in this community that said, we need to do something about Franklin. And I want him to share some of that this morning, uh, whatever the Lord has in his heart. 
But there was a real work of the Holy Spirit in this city. And one of the reasons we have this breakfast here uh, that, is, that is geared to you guys in the marketplace um, and, a, and a way that we can gather together is to, is to carry on uh, the, the work and the answer to prayers that happened many, over, over many decades for this city. And there was, there was a, a breakout, if you will, of the work of the Holy Spirit, and it's not finished, and we're here to do it. Scotty, would you come? Thank you, brother. <clears throat> well, I'm going to be very mindful of our time, and I will pray and say amen at 7.55, but until that moment, I want to try by God's grace to cram as much hope as possible into this conversation this morning. Um, precisely along the lines that Wes has mentioned. But let me start where we should always start with just a a brief portion of Scripture. And I think this uh, passage, though familiar to all of us, needs to be constantly contextualized in our hearts, in our world. And I'm reading from Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this remarkable gathering. Lord, even walking in this morning uh, to see the faces of brothers that I've known for all four decades that Darlene and I have lived in this city. Lord, you are such an outrageously faithful, generous, merciful, and mighty God. And though none of us is the point, we all matter. And though none of us is the point, we all get to be pointers towards the one who is making all things new, even Jesus. Lord, would you show us uh, in this brief time this morning, would you remind us how you are at work for good in all things, in a global virus, in a tornado that has wreaked havoc, Lord, in the history of your commitment to be a great and gracious redeemer and restorer, all around us in Davidson County and Williamson County, And Lord, in our own hearts, thank you that you began a work in your cosmos you will bring to completion. But Father, you also began a work in us individually that you are committed to bring to completion. And we cry out even now, hallelujah, what a Savior Jesus is. And hallelujah, what a salvation we have in you, Lord Jesus. Come now by your Spirit and richly encourage us, I pray. In your name and for your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen. So when I looked at that paragraph that kind of introduced some of you to the fact that I would be your uh, guest this morning, the very fact that Wes, and I'm assuming you wrote that paragraph because you would know this better than anybody. Well, who did? Well, Larry did. Good, because you were there too. So to, to, to go back to first press is important. 
And uh, I want to take a few moments just to kind of um, give a larger story of the faithfulness and goodness of God, the God who's always at work. Uh, when we first moved to town, which was 1979, though, Wes, let me turn back the clock. You and I had our first conversation in 1978, early in Dharma, when I think you were Amy Grant's first manager. A, she was a 17-year-old freshman at Furman University, and I called you because at First Pres Winston-Salem, where I was ordained, we were doing concert ministry, and I you know, heard of this young woman singing about my father's eyes and thought, she's good. So we, that's where we met. And um, I had no clue I'd be coming to Nashville, neither did you. And, uh, but just in God's story and faithfulness, uh, I got a call uh, in Winston-Salem from Cortez Alonzo Cooper. Some of you knew Cordy. Some of you will meet this remarkable man in heaven. And Cordy said, Scotty, would you pray about possibly being our youth pastor at First Prison Nashville? And uh, all I knew about Nashville was the TV show Hee Haw. <laughs> and I thought, I'm not really sure. I'm a little cooler than, uh, you know, chewing straw and wearing bib overalls. So I, it didn't really sound very you know, unique on the front end. Little did I know that, of course, uh, a lot more to uh, greater Nashville uh, than, than simply that one TV show. But the Lord confirmed our calling, and when we got here, I want to say this real quickly in light of the scripture. The Lord was so powerfully at work long before I got here, long before Wes got here, long before any of us got here, because the, the entire Bible shows us a God who's not passive. To read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is to see that our creator God has chosen to be truly an outrageously generous redeemer and restorer. And we came to, uh, to First President Nashville, uh, uh, as did Cortez Cooper, because God, by his Holy Spirit, did something profound. Now, there's two names I want to mention that help shape what eventually happened down here and what's happening everywhere. Uh, when we first came to town, Cortez Cooper, senior pastor at First President Nashville, and Don Finto at the Belmont Church. These were two men that understood the relationship between word and spirit, and just to see how God profoundly stirred this greater area through the faithfulness of these two men, so different from one another, loving the same Jesus, both profoundly a means of God's grace in the telling of his story. Well, a little bit about a little background of encouragement in terms of the God who's at work in every context. Before Cortez Cooper came to First Pres Nashville, God sovereignly decided to visit this very affluent old Nashville church through a lay witness mission. In Dallas, Texas, there was a, a, a big Presbyterian church called Highland Park where a group of successful businessmen discovered that, that they, they had gone to church long before they had gone to Jesus. And one man in particular, Bob Finn, do you remember Bob Finn, late witness mission, uh, here's a successful haberdasher in Dallas, who through the Jesus movement, along with many other uh, folk in that community, came to know the God of all grace, realized there is a huge difference from simply being a member of a church and really knowing the lavish love of God and the gospel. Well, somehow a lay witness mission took place at First Pres Nashville in uh, 73, 74, something like that. And God really stirred. Uh, there were uh, elders and deacons converted through this lay witness renewal at First Pres. 
Uh, just like if you know uh, Don Finto in his story, you know, here's a PhD in Germanic studies in the Church of Christ who comes alive by the Spirit of God to the, the glory of the fact that there's really nothing more than the gospel. There's just more of the gospel. And so two huge stirrings uh, of the Spirit have been amazingly important to at least the 40 years I've been in this city. So again, it's awesome to know only Jesus gets the credit for what God the Father is committed to do until the day Jesus comes back. Important for us to know that. So we came to First Pres, and uh, it was remarkable to see just new life in this city. And uh, Mike Hudson, Neil Joseph, where are you sitting? Oh, there you are. I mean, you remember Mike. I mean, early in the days of Koinonia Bookstore. So Mike Hudson was a youth pastor at Belmont. I was a youth pastor at uh, First Press, and we started doing stuff together. And next thing I know, a stirring takes place. Cortez Cooper calls me, and we came to marry these. The very fact that I'm sitting here this morning, it's like all this history is flooding over me. Uh, Cordy called and said, Scotty, we need to talk. Uh, and so we came down to Mary D's, and uh, when Mary D was still alive herself, just a fabulous lady, lover of Jesus. I'm not sure how many of you ever met the original Mary D. I moved down from Minnesota, Minnesota, with Ludafisk. She would serve every Christmas. And, uh, but Cordy shocked me, and this was the fall of 1980. He said, Scotty, uh, I no longer uh, can stay in the denomination we're a part of. I'm going to announce to First Pres that I'm resigning from the denomination and as senior pastor of First Pres. To which I said to myself very quietly, oh, crap, you know, <laughs> what am I going to do? So, you know, we always think of ourselves first, right? You know, it's all, always about me. And so anyway, out of faithfulness to his conscience and the truth of the gospel and the scriptures, he understood it. Cordy announced his resignation in the fall of 1980. And then within two weeks, a large group of people called the two of us and said, don't you guys commit to do anything we uh, a lot of us in this city, not just in First Pres, are waiting for an opportunity to have an environment where we can more fully explore the authority of Scripture and the beauty of Jesus and the centrality of the gospel. So um, in January of 1981 at Hillsborough High School, uh, a core group of 700 people began Christ Presbyterian Church. How hadn't you were there? I mean, small core group, right? You know, 700 people. But the new church, exactly, and a lot of us wanted it to be continually be the new church. But the point is this. A lay witness mission of all places and, 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 and a Presbyterian church with people with power and money who do not seemingly need anything, they need Jesus. And God breathed upon that church. God breathed upon a Don Finto brilliant man who came alive and became a conduit of, of what we are continuing to enjoy. Again, God is so generous, stuff predated that. Is Andy Miller in the room by any chance? Do any of y'all know Andy? Uh, first, you know Andy. Y'all should have Andy sometimes share if you have not. So Andy, when we were over here at, uh, still in downtown Franklin, I'll get to that in a minute. I'm just going to give you a tidbit to say here's why you need Andy to come share. He's at First Methodist he called me one day, said, and he had a little publishing house in town called Provident, Providence, and I did a project uh, for him for Chip Dodd's first rendition of Voices of the Heart, wrote a study guide for that, and, uh, and Andy said, Scotty, I've got to show you something, and he's got these papers documenting th the history of three revivals in Franklin, Tennessee, and it blew me away to discover there have been three 
major visitations of the Spirit of God in Franklin. One happened during the Civil War when, if you know anything about books on prayer, maybe you know the name E.M. Bounds. He was the pastor of First Methodist Franklin during the Civil War. And one of the revivals happened during that time. There was another time in early 1900s where they built a tabernacle walking distance from where we are, where five nights a week people in Franklin showed up to worship Jesus who visited Franklin. I mean, uh, but you see, this is what I'm describing there, and I need to slow down. I'm talking too fast because it's so encouraging. This is happening everywhere in the world right now because our God has no contingencies. He is a God who is at work. All of history, every bit of it, is tied to the God of the Bible's commitment to redeem a family from every single race, tribe, tongue, and people group and eventually to finish making all things new through Jesus when he comes back. Dear friends, if you read the Bible, uh, we in the Jesus movement in the 60s sang a lot of bad songs. And, uh, and one of the songs we sang was this song, I read the end of the book and we win. And who but an American would write that song, right? You know. But if you, if you read the scripture, what you realize the final chapter, two chapters of the Bible don't say we we win, but no, the Lamb has triumphed even over us. And the story to which we are heading and completion, which we participate now in, is brothers, Jesus is at work. He's at work in this city. It's been so great to have lived here 40 years now uh, to watch the Lord through the little part of his family tree and story I've been a part of from First Pres to the planning of Christ Pres. To the shocking of all of us that in 1981, when we planted that church, we moved into our new building in 1984, at which time Cortez said, uh, I'm called now to Northern California to uh, help with the church planning movement of the PCA. Shocked us. But yeah, again, Cordy knew, you know, I'm not the fourth member of the Trinity. And so moving on into God's story, and we went through a season of transition there in which, uh, that's the storyboard in which how I was sent out to Franklin to be involved with something. You're too kind, Wes. I wish I had been smart enough to be praying for Franklin or having a great vision for Franklin. I knew that Cordy put in place at Christ Pres a commitment to be a church planning church, and I knew that he first said, I really believe you would be a good first church planner, which I was very resistant to. As you'll hear in a minute, because a part of my story, brothers, is some of your stories. Uh, insecurities, fears, assumption that if anybody really knew us, they wouldn't give us the right hand of fellowship. They would give us the left foot of fellowship. Because you see, in life as men, we're often posers and pretenders. And, and we have fear. And, and we find some niche that we're good at, and we land there, and we do that, and that becomes our identity. Well, for me, that happened to me ministry. So Again, when we, in 1986, were uh, launching Christ Community, we, we tried to launch in downtown Franklin, but there was no school, there was no space that would be open to us in 86 to come down to Franklin. So we met our first year at Christ Press's facility from 3.30 to 6 o'clock. That's right when the second NFL game kicks off. <laughs> Not the ideal time to plant a church in the South. 
But I've often been asked, Scotty, why were there in Christ's community so many artists early in y'all's story and continuing through the story? How did all these incredible musicians come? Well, those are musicians ours. They can do 330 Church because some of them are traveling and more of them are sleeping. So we start a church for the first year that meets uh, at Christ Press's facility. Finally, our friends at First Baptist, then People's Church, now Church of the City, um, reached out to us. Rick White said, Scotty, we got a we got a building that we would love for you to try on if you guys are coming to Franklin. We're building something down the road here, and a lot of you know and love Rick White and the way God has used him so remarkably for years in this city. So we came down here, and if you remember those early days when the sanctuary was over here when we first moved in, there was not only orange shag carpet on the floor, but on the walls. And a ugly contrasting orange pews. So if you were in early Christ community, it wasn't the aesthetic of our space or ambiance of our color scheme that drew you. Here's what happened, and here's kind of where I want to talk about the remaining time I have. There are two things that were being born into my heart, driven into my heart, as we came down to Franklin, number one, a lot of us who planted this church knew that we are just beginning to discover the enormity of the God of all grace, the gospel of God's grace. We wanted to plant a church that simply would enable us to open the Bible in every single chapter, look for Jesus, and to risk exposing our hearts to what the Bible actually says about the unsearchable riches of the grace of God. The second thing we did was this, we said, too many times, and especially we Presbyterians, and that's not that we're a room full of Presbyterians, we're probably minimally representative of that family. But a lot of times Presbyterians are known, from, known for living from their head rather than their heart. We lead with our rightness rather than our kindness. We love good theology, and I love good theology. But here's what we were discovering. As God was visiting First Pres, now Christ Pres, Belmont, that whole outreach, we knew this. We need to ponder the lyric of the gospel, but not miss its music. And so what we decided was, along with being a congregation that would say, we don't know how this is all going to work out. We're in a funky old building and people are streaming down the road, we are going to soak and saturate in everything the Bible will tell us about the person, the work of Jesus, and we are going to build a worship culture that enables us to linger. I can't overemphasize to you, brothers, how when I look at the story of what God did in Christ's community, that there's just two things we wanted to do as a core. Let's study the Bible looking for Jesus. Let's open our hearts because most of us were recovering Pharisees, we were pragmatists, we were legalists, we were, you know, just, just looking to the Bible for seven principles to do something well, missing the point that the Bible's not primarily telling the story about what we do, but what Jesus has done for us. So we're studying the gospel and we're building a culture where on the back end of the service, we can simply sing to the Lord, not just about the Lord. And I think that's even fitting that you started with that little chorus that you did because, you know, uh, that's something we were discovering in that day. Even through the Jesus movement, there is a, an enormous difference between simply singing about the Lord. But when you sing to the Lord, see, you're, you're, you're beginning to engage head and heart. That will lead to feet and hands, by the way. And that is what the gospel is, lyric, music, and dance. 
theology, doxology, missiology. And we were discovering that as God by his spirit. Again, let me go to the insecurity theme here. Let me check my time here real quick. Okay, good. I got, let me switch into this. Just to kind of make some personal connections, because there's so much more story and history. And I'd, I'd rather go now to maybe where our hearts land in the final 10 minutes I have. So indeed, for about 12 years, we lived through a remarkable visitation of God's spirit. I wouldn't put it in the category of one of those revivals Andy Miller has documented, but I would say it was a fantastic renewal. It was an amazing movement of God's spirit. And, uh, and, and it wasn't just what God was going to do in Franklin, but what he was going to do in the planting pastor's heart. I look back now, brothers, uh, through those years from 86 up until the time that we uh, moved from downtown Franklin, sold most of our property back to the city of Franklin, wanting to be good neighbors, and where the courthouse now is is where our sanctuary was, so we went from mercy to justice, but that's another story. <laughs> Susan Ashton wrote a song, or uh, actually Wayne Kirkpatrick and Gordon did about justice to mercy. But anyway, uh, before we moved up there, uh, we, we really began to experience some disruption. We tried to be a church planning church, but no one wanted to leave Camelot. So God needed to turn Camelot into Carlot in order to begin to expand and move us out. You know, when you're in a big party, you don't want to leave. But we wanted to be a church planning movement. But more importantly for these final sections, I'm going to share with you what God did in my heart during that time. In the year 2000, right before we moved over to the new facility, uh, in fact, our first Sunday in the new facility at Christ Community was the Sunday before 9-11. So that's, a, you know, welcome to your new facility and to a changed world, right? But this is so sweet of the Lord. The Lord, on the tail end of that major renewal in our city, said, Scotty, uh, when Jesus said he's come to set the prisoner free, he was talking about you. And, and the Lord gave me a burnout, the Lord gave me the gift of hitting a wall when our church was doing well. Physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, I absolutely ran out, guys. And it was such a gift of God because I, um, as someone that was smart enough to figure out how to live from my head, uh, needed to come to understand that the gospel is truly as much for me as it was for anybody that was finding their way into all these services in downtown Franklin. And I can look back now after that burnout through good counseling, through the work I did moving forward that has continued for these last 20 years, I see now an image that I want to share as we begin to wind down that I pray might be an on-ramp for some of your own personal story work. I look back during that time and I realize a lot of my most passionate God-used preaching was a desperate man seeing in the Bible more of the gospel, proclaiming it with passion. And the passion was as much as anything connected to my heart saying, I hope this is true. I so hope this is true because it's such exquisite news. If this is true, it's not a game changer. It's an everything changer. And through that burnout, I realized that the Lord was saying, Scotty, you have lived too much as senior pastor, as planning pastor of Christ Community Church, as the Wizard of Oz. And let me tell you what that means and see if this is helpful. In the movie The Wizard of Oz, I love that scene when, uh, when Dorothy and all of her broken friends 
you know, here there's the great Oz, right? And they're going to go to the Emerald City, and they get there. And you remember early in that cinematography, it's odd color, and there are all kinds of munchkins and witches and flying monkeys and all this stuff. But you've got the Emerald City, and it's big, and it's green, and here's Dorothy, and there's Toto, and there's Straw Man, Tin Man, there's, who am I leaving out? And, and, and what are they? they? They're the body of Christ. They're humanity. They're broken, and they all need and they all want. And they hear there's an Oz that can really help them. And so you remember that scene in the movie when they're all there and Oz is behind curtains. We know that. He's pushing buttons and levers and he's got this big microphone and he sounds bigger than he is. And then what happens? Toto is sent in between the curtains. Remember that scene? If you've ever seen the movie, there's this little dog, you know, goes in and Dorothy's looking for Toto. And hey, Larry, you were there? Uh, so Toto, um, Toto goes in and Dorothy goes in and what does she discover? Oz is a very ordinary man, like the rest of us. And what you don't see in that movie, and I, you know, I think this is fantastic, uh, Dorothy doesn't all of a sudden get all pissed off and you, you fraud, you, you know, you, you jerked us around. It was more like, well, come on out with the rest of us. Let's figure this thing out together, Oz. You know, we're... I'm not in Kansas, and we need brains, hearts, courage, whatever else. What do you need? But in a sense, I would say that God's gift to me of burnout in the year 2000 was God sending in Toto in the form of a burnout to say, Scotty, you're like an old Jackson Brown song running on empty. And you see, I knew that, and yet I kept, I traded being useful to the Lord for walking closely with the Lord. And what I did not realize was that how much of my life had become like Oz. Leave me alone, because all I can do is stand on this second step in downtown Franklin, open the Bible, talk about Jesus, and, and, and lead us in worship. And, and, and that was enough for me, to be useful to the Lord. And, and you know what? That, that, that is not what God says to any man in this room. I simply want to use you. I want you to know me. I, I, I want you to know me in the depths of your heart to know where there are wounds that are yet to be voiced. Brothers, a part of what I discovered through that burnout was two major heart wounds. And I will close and pray over us with this. Two major heart wounds in my story that I had never given attention to. What I had done was put a Romans 8.28 band-aid on cancers, just wanting to dismiss the fact that Jesus has come to break oppressions, to heal the brokenhearted, to set captives free. And I was all of those. Uh, I, through that burnout, finally was invited for the first time in my life to consider the impact of the death of my mom that had happened at age 11 when she was killed in a head-on car crash. And a lot of you have lost a parent, so I don't want to kind of over blow that. But here's what happened in my story. The day my mom died, my father sunk into a depression so deep that he did not speak for the next two years. Right after mom's death, my, my father and I, we ne her name was not mentioned for the next 40 years. He never touched me physically in harm or in discipline my entire life. It was an environment of growing up in the most unbelievable insecurity and fear and not knowing who I was and just so convinced Everybody was more competent than I. Well, through this journey of burnout and beginning to get healthy and moving into God's story more fully, 
I discovered four years later after finally making it to my mom's grave and beginning a grief process that I'd never gone into and finally connecting with my dad when he was 81 and I was 50 before he disappeared into Alzheimer's. I also through that work discovered a part of my story called sexual abuse. How as an eight-year-old young man growing up in uh, Graham, North Carolina, had been lured into an environment by an older person I shouldn't have been able to trust, into a barn, and I can remember the image so well, as an eight-year-old kid being brought into an environment of pornography all over the floor of this place, having no categories to understand what was going on. Only in that astonishment, the disgustedness, the intrigue of something I'm looking at to be preyed upon by this older person. And you don't need to know the details, but I will clearly say I was sexually violated. And I did not think it mattered. It did not begin a journey of sequential predation. It wasn't a story of this person for the next several months or years preying upon me, but it so violated my heart, my sense of being a man, my sense of masculinity. I, through the loss of my innocence as an eight-year-old kid, through the death of my mom as an 11-year-old little boy, Six years later, the only girl I dated all through high school also being killed in a car wreck. Brothers, my heart froze. And I entered into marriage and parenting. A man who was competent at preaching the gospel, but unable to show up in life from my heart. God in his mercy for these last 20 years has been setting a captive free. God in his mercy has enabled me to hear his delight in me, not because I preach the gospel, but because he's the God of all grace. Brothers, some of you who come here week in and week out uh, need to know you are being invited at every age and stage not to reach for a victim sweatshirt, to say, if you knew my story, you would cut me some slack. No, but to understand the gospel that's running to the nations throughout Franklin is running through your heart. And, and you matter. And, and pain and loss and the way your wife looks at you sometime and wonders why can you be so alive in your vocation and so dead at home. Darlene said to me one time after coming home, and she said it uh, with lament but with prophetic power. She said, Scotty, you've just preached your fourth time at Christ Community. Why is it you are so alive in the pulpit but so unable to enter my heart and our kids' hearts? You know, what's your response to that? I think I immediately thought, well, it's just the Holy Spirit. What can I say, sweetheart? Spirit comes on me and I preach and I'm really alive. Isn't it awesome? She wasn't applauding my preaching. She was saying, honey, I long for your heart. And the day my wife said to me, Scotty, I want to get healthy with you, but I'll continue to get healthy without you, was the day the Spirit of God broke in and humbled me. And I thank God for the fact that I've lived from Camelot through Carlot to Camelot again. I'm so thankful to be a part of a city where the gospel's running to you, brothers, and through you, brothers. We're a part of something so much bigger, brothers. We read the end of the story, and the Lamb triumphs over all things. We are living in, in a story in which one day the knowledge of God's glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's not a possibility or probability. It is God's covenant promise. But rather than thinking about the cosmos, I want to pray now for your heart. Would you just bow with me now as we conclude this time? Father, thank you for the joy uh, of, of cramming in way too much in 31 and a half minutes of your storyboard. But Lord, you're not in a hurry. 
you are working in all things for your glory and our own hearts and our rapture, our rupture, and the ways that we have been failures, the way we have hurt people, the way we have uh, ignored grace, the way we have lived allergic to your love. Lord, but thank you that, Lord, I see in my own life that only your love is better than life. Only your love will never let go of us. Only your love can heal those deep places. Only your love guarantees that one day Jesus will have a bride from every single race, tribe, and people group. Thank you for Cortez Cooper. Thank you for Don Finto. Thank you for the people that preceded them. Thank you for those that will come after us, Lord, should Jesus tarry even in this very city. We would love to live through another revival. But, Father, we personally want to live in story as brothers and friends together in which we would get healthy, we would get whole, that we would pursue the hearts of our wives, our kids, our friends. Come, Holy Spirit, come and make this gospel not just true, but beautiful and believable to us. I pray with thanksgiving in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Thank you, brothers. It's, it's very clear that when we're young, a lot of times we think um, our first calling is to something in ministry. And your story it parallels mine in some ways where I came late to the understanding that the first calling of my life was to know myself and to make that my confession. Mm -hmm. And so we start with these activities and these image building things and we build churches or we build schools or we build community, whatever. And, and then it dawns on us eventually that our first calling is to know who we are and to be able to share that with others. Thank you for doing that. It was a great joy of my heart uh, around that year 2000 when you were able to start sharing the things that were going on in your life that had, had deeply affected you and where we watch God put the rest of this puzzle together in your life. Peace of Christ, brother. Blessing. Go in the peace of Christ, brother. Hey, New Canaan Society podcast listeners, thanks for listening. Make sure to check out the video course mentioned at the beginning of this episode by John Mark Hicks and sign up a group of guys to go through this material about grief and suffering. Go to himpublications.com slash NCS. Until next time.